welcome to The Solutionist Show. Today, I'm super excited to bring Howard Baskin from Big Cat Rescue. And the reason why I'm excited is because, well, one, they have a super long history of uh, in animal welfare, and in particular with big cats and, and out of the United States, but their impact is worldwide. And we're going to be specifically talking about some bills and some specific issues that they have they have had an, an immense impact in. And so I'm really honored to bring to you today, Howard. Hi, Howard. How are you? Hi there. Great. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on All About Animals Radio on The Solutionist Show. And I guess let's just start with a, a quick a quick overview of what Big Cat Rescue is, although the name in itself says so much, doesn't it? Well, and that's why we actually changed the name to that when I got involved uh, from what was Wildlife on Easy Street, because when I would go to someone and say, well, I'm with Wildlife on Easy Street, they would say, well, what is that, a bar or something? So, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> so, so. I'm like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> but what, what Big Cat Rescue is, is known for is, is being a very good accredited big cat sanctuary where we take in lions and tigers and some of the smaller big cats like bobcats and, and servals that either were uh, pets and people and don't make good pets or from facilities like zoos that either get shut down or uh, shut down for some other reason uh, or, or where law enforcement enforces uh, for e either whether it's a license to or backyard. So they come to us from a bunch of different places. We also have a, a very unique and successful Florida Bobcat rehab operation where we take in injured and orphaned Bobcats. Um, and, and that's what the, the sanctuary was best known for, but we've always described our mission in, in three prongs. One is to take the best care we can of the cats. One is to stop the abuse, which gets to the advocacy work that I think you and I'll talk about most today. And then the third is to stop extinction in the wild. And to my knowledge, we're the, we're the only sanctuary that actually takes part of our revenue each year and funds projects out in the wild trying to keep the, the cats from going extinct. So you do collaborate with other organizations to achieve these missions? Absolutely. Wonderful. And you are located in the United States in Florida and you're on how many acres? We're on 67 acres. Wonderful. That must be beautiful. Florida has such a wonderful temperate weather. <laughs> well, it must be yeah. a beautiful, beautiful place to be. That's wonderful. Happy that the big cats get to be there. Uh, so here we have your location, your place, what your mission is. Yeah, let's focus on that, that one in respect to the bill. Let's just jump right into the bill because mostly it's recent and that's what I love about it. It is, it is, you've been around a long time. Well, he was a person, but also... <laughs> Okay, so I'm old. You're telling me I'm old. What, what else is new? <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, the organization. But this bill is quite new. 2022, correct? Yes, except the effort is not new. Uh, That's the, right. we were, Carol started working on legislation back in the in the late 90s. And in 2000. Can you just give a brief, brief 
who's Carol? She started it, did she? Can you? Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> Just for well, the listeners that one, I mean, I know. Well, my wife is Carol Baskin, and okay. and and you know, known to many people much more after Tiger King and other productions that uh, we've been in, and uh, she founded the sanctuary. She rescued her first cat in 1992, so okay. you know we're 30 years old uh, in doing this. I joined. I met her in 2002, and then took up the cause as part of of that. So. Um, I've been here for 20 years. Perfect. Okay. Let's move forward with this bill. Okay. So uh, she had started doing legislative work back in the 90s, recognizing that, you know, we could we could take in a, a certain number more cats, but it wasn't going to put a dent in the problem. The solution was legislation and changing the regulations and legislation. And so in 2003, there was a bill called the Captive Wildlife Safety Act, that did some things and had some impact. And then there were some efforts in the next few years, but the effort on this bill that you point to recently passing started in 2011, when we went to DC and got together with representatives of the much larger organizations who were typically doing advocacy like HSUS, and that's the Humane Society of the United States, or. Uh, you know, some of the other big ones that people may or may not recognize, like the International Fund for Animal Welfare, which is called IFAW, uh, Born Free USA, organizations like that. And we all got in a room and decided on a three-pronged strategy for attacking the what we viewed as the big cat problem, the mistreatment of captive big cats in the United States. And so one of those efforts, I'm sorry, let me get rid of that. One of those efforts was a petition to USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, who makes the rules about animal welfare under our Animal Welfare Act. And okay. that that's not a petition that people sign. It's more like an appellate appeal where you go and build a case and present to them why they should do something. And so we were asking them to make a rule that you couldn't do cub petting because the cub petting is a huge part of the problem. These and these breeders would have 50 to 100 tigers in horrible cages, just pumping out cubs constantly. It was a, the cubs would be torn from the mothers immediately, which is a torment to the mother and the cub. They could only use them for a few months and then they'd be discarded and many of them would end up in backyards. Meantime, the mothers, that what they would do is called speed breeding where they would get the mothers pregnant the female tiger's pregnant as soon after giving birth as possible, which is not natural. In the wild, they would raise their cubs for a couple of years and then breed again. And it's believed that this speed breeding contributes to or raises the chances of mammary cancer. And we've lost a number of our female tigers to mammary cancer who were breeders like this. So the cub petting was a huge part of the problem. And the other part was all these tigers in backyards all over the country that nobody knew where they were. So um, the petition to USDA turned out that we put an enormous effort into that, and it was a total failure. The, the USDA, even though our administrative um, law act requires agencies to respond in a reasonable time, it doesn't define reasonable, and <laughs> they just never acted. So that didn't work. The second part of it 
was the uh, to uh, a to try to get our United States Fish and Wildlife Service called FWS here to change what was called the generic tiger rule back in 1998. They normally with an endangered species in order to do certain activities like sell them, you had to get a permit from the Fish and Wildlife Service justifying that this served some conservation purpose, which if you wanted to import or export tigers or uh, sell them, transfer them to people. And they said, you know what? These these gener a generic tiger is one where you don't know what subspecies it is. And all of these tigers in these roadside zoos are, are mixtures. They are mixtures between Bengal tigers and Siberian tigers. They don't have a history. So they said for those, you don't have to follow the rules. Well, that opened the door for all of these people to just breed them rampantly and then trade them back and forth for cub petting. So we wanted to get them to change that. That effort was enormously successful. And in 2016, we got them to change the rule. And for those of you who have seen Tiger King and know what that is and know Joe Exotic, one of the reasons Joe Exotic is in jail is because of the, the generic tiger rule was rescinded and that made some of the activities that he was doing that previously were legal now illegal and so those were a bunch of the charges that were brought against him and now to because the, he continued to do them despite the new law yes and was uh, it law or a rule that was a regulation okay the change in the regulation the federal bill, the purpose, the, the goal of the federal bill called the Big Cat Public Safety Act was to do two simple things. Stop the cub petting and phase out this private ownership in backyards, ownership by people who do not have a USDA license to be an exhibitor like a zoo. In other words, that license is what lets you have the public come in and charge the public to see the animals, but we have in this country all these people who did not have that license, were not inspected necessarily by anybody. The laws vary state by state on whether there might be any inspection or rules on ownership. And so there were thousands of these animals in, in backyards around the country. So the, the law lets those people keep their animals because there's no place to go. So that's called grandfathering them in, but they are not allowed to breed them. They are not allowed to acquire any more. So over a decade or so, all of those animals will die out and there won't be all these tigers in backyards that are frequently where the, the need to be rescued for one reason or another. So let's get back to this grandfathered part. So something like a traveling circus or a zoo is grandfathered from this clause or from uh, this law. Well, no. now keep in mind, those okay. those would be licensed people. In order to be a circus or a, or a show where you have the public come, you have a USDA license. And you know the USDA enforcement of the Animal Welfare Act is really problematic. It, you know, we, we, we find horrible conditions despite that, but at least there's something. The, the ones- See, the, the What's going through my mind is you have these people that have this, I mean, when you say backyard, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my goodness. I mean, some people's back backyard is a rather evasive term. I mean, some people's a part of my mind is thinking, okay, the backyard where I live in an urban area. So there's no way there's going to be anybody having a tiger without anybody else knowing it <laughs> to use the term, well, the elephant well, in the well, room. But, I'll, but I'll let's argue, say I'll, we I'll have, argue, have I'll, argue, I'll argue with you on that because there was a tiger found in a Harlem apartment in, in New York City. Exactly. So here we have, that's the obvious. I mean, that's just, that that has got, that's the obvious. But let's say we have a person who's not a professional. They don't have any sort of, they don't have any reason, but they have these tigers because they thought it was cool, let's say, to have, but they have 65, 67 acres, the same as you have. They have 67 acres and it is fenced in, for example. Um, and, and these tiger or tigers are on it or these big cats. And then you have these ones that are with a zoo or in a zoo or with a, a traveling circus or type. And those ones are, they have the qualification certifications. They, they're, they are able to do that. In my mind, I'd rather be the big cat on the guy's 67 acres that, yeah, he doesn't really know what he's doing, but I've got 67 acres. But those, so I, I'm just wondering about why some of these were grandfathered in simply because they have the, they, they pass with the, with the requirements set by the welfare organizations. The grandfathering in has nothing to do with the zoos or circuses. Okay? The zoos and circuses are licensed by USDA. Okay. They, are, they are exempt from the law. They are still allowed to do what they're doing. They have some oversight by USDA, at least. There are some rules. Now, separately from that, you have people who have no USDA license, who have them in backyards. Now, the reason you're wondering is you're picturing someone having 67 acres and this big tiger running around this wonderful area. And the reason you're wondering that is you have not seen the conditions that these animals typically live in, in what I refer to as, as backyards, which are usually more rural areas they end up in horrible conditions because what happens is these people will get this cub that maybe was discarded from the cub petting. It's four months old. It's still reasonably manageable. And then pretty soon they can't have it in the house anymore. And they build this tiny ramshackle enclosure in the back. They don't know what to feed it. There's no oversight of, are you feeding it properly? There's no oversight of, are you giving it metal care. So let me give you an example. A tiger named Aria come, came to us from a backyard. Aria came to us with four open oozing wounds on each shoulder and each hip. Picture that, not this tiger running around on 67 acres and you'll understand. Now, the only reason they're grandfathered in is that there's too many of them. We couldn't go around confiscating them because there isn't enough space in sanctuaries to hold them. So we had to say, okay, you can keep what you have, but you can't add any. Right. 
Right. <clears throat> so that help? makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to to bring that up because it's an interesting I it what was important there, what really stood out. I mean, obviously the care of of the animal is necessary and, and an important part. But the other part of it is that it's too separate. I mean, what you're really it's it's interesting with bills because I talk to a lot of people who have implemented bills. And sometimes if they get too big and incorporate too many and try to change too many things, the bill just gets scrapped. So by by allowing the zoos, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's if we just keep that over there and they are regulated by the government and they are regulated by the, the zoos and the surfs and they have to have certain qualifications, then let's focus specifically on the people that are just independent people that have these animals and they're not caring for them and make sure that they don't continue to do this and reproduce and get more. And, and so it sounds to me what you're doing here with the bill is really focusing on one very important part of animal welfare and sort of saying the rest over here is something different and that's okay for now. Well, and you just made a, an, an incredibly good point that we lived through and learned the hard way. You made a point about trying to do too much in mm -hmm. a bill, then mm -hmm. the bill doesn't pass. Yeah. One of the things you need to think about when you try to get legislation passed is who is the opposition? How much influence do they have? So back in 2011, in the original versions of version of our bill, the Public Safety Act, we tried to put in some limitations on these roadside zoos. And we found that their opposition was really hard to overcome. And it made the bill very difficult to explain to legislators. And the argument they would make is, oh my God, you're putting small business people out of business. And so a few sessions later, after trying that, we ended up removing that and focusing more narrowly and saying, all right, we're not going to get the bill passed if we keep fighting that battle. So we give up on that and go after what we still think is 90% of what we want. Exactly. So that is that is exactly how people uh, learn from from what you did and the challenges that come with passing bills. And it's amazing sometimes who hops on board to support it and who steps up and says no. And, and sometimes, like you said, we have to think about who these bills are affecting and how much power they have and whether that power has the ability to ictionay the whole entire bill. So that is such a good point. And when you said it took such a long time to go through to do it, it was a learning process. And in 2022, there was success with getting getting an important part of it passed. Correct. So congratulations. That's wonderful. Well, thank so you. <laughs> yeah. Now I did see on your your website that you are a, a, I won't quote directly, but uh, your organization is feared by a lot of uh, you know, the the roadside circuses, roadside zoos, zoos, this type of thing. And yet you did decide to say, okay, 
we'll let you be and we won't include you in this in this bill so you're right my original where i said it's not that they're grandfathered out it's it's literally that they're just not included so why do they still why do they fear you well because just because we didn't try to have any part of the bill affect them doesn't mean we haven't gone after them and so one of the things we've been very successful with is is going after or going to the venues that these people appear at. So, mm. for instance, you know, the infamous Joe Exotic, years ago, back in 2010, 2011, he had a traveling show where he would sick the tiger cubs and some other animals in a semi in horrible, filthy conditions and drive around the Midwest. He'd show up at a mall on a Wednesday, set up cages in the mall and be there and then leave on Sunday and spend a couple of days traveling to the next mall all throughout the Midwest and Southwest of the United States. And um, so what we did was we started contacting the malls and we actually at one point hired a person who was devoted to this task of calling the malls, talking to them, saying, look, you know, this, you see this as something that draws traffic to your mall, but what you don't realize is the backstory of the misery these animals go through. May I send you something about that? And of course they'd say, well, yes, you can send it. And we had a prepared thing that we would send them. And sometimes they would say, you know what, we get it. Uh, we've got a contract with them to come this time, but we're not gonna have him back. But other times they would say, well, we talked to him. He says, you're just picking on him and he's USDA licensed. and and so, you know, we're going to continue. And then we would say, well, you know, then what we would like you to understand is that there, that while this may draw some people to your mall, it offends others. And so just want you to know, we're going to show that to you by asking people to email you and let you know that they find this offensive because it is abusive of the animals. And then we would put out what we call an alert to our supporters. And early on, when we started doing this, we might generate 500 emails. As our support base grew, we were able to generate sometimes four or 5,000 emails. Well, someone getting four or 5,000 emails saying, you're doing something that's horrible to animals has an impact. And so one by one, his malls started canceling on him and not wanting him back. And so eventually it, it took a couple of years, but it, it, he stopped doing the show altogether, but it wasn't just Joe Exotic. We would do this with these other people who have circus acts. If, it's, if they're going to a fair and putting on their act, we would contact the fair. Sometimes we would contact the sponsors. If it was a mall, we would not only contact the mall ownership, but we might contact the major tenants and, and say to a JCPenney or a Sears or do you, do you want to be associated with this animal abuse? If it was a fair and the fair was sponsored by some bank, we would contact the senior management of the bank. And we have found this very effective. So that's why Love this, this uh, campaigning and this, uh, this approach, it is interesting. And I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to hear this, that money really drives that decision. So what you did was, say, yes, you may see it as a 
you know, a draw. So people are coming to your mall. And of course, ching ching, that's money. But let's talk about the people who aren't coming because right. of this. Oh, right. You know, there, there's people that are not and may never shop at your mall again because you did this. Right. So it's not it, it is if money is the driving factor, it's interesting that that uh, you took that approach as well, which I, I really like. And I'm a full supporter of and I do that approach a lot where it is, you, you know, there's two sides to that story and there's people that you're losing. And that is so important to bring that to their attention, because if money is their driving factor, the other thing they did was justify their initial decision to continue with him simply based on the fact that he has the certifications or requirements or yeah, to do that, which again, yes. I mean, anybody can justify anything if they want to, anybody can find any way to justify anything, sadly enough. So if that's their justification, then again, it really needs to be brought forth to them that just because he has that certification doesn't mean that it's not harmful and wrong. Well, and keep in mind that people like Joe Exotic or Doc Antle, these, these people are good con men. They're good liars. They're convincing. They, mm -hmm. they have a cult, cult following. And, and so when they talk to them all, they can be convincing. Yeah. And so we would have to overcome that. Right. And it's just because really we can't expect people who run a mall to know how to care for an exotic cat. Right. They, they have to be educated. They have to, it, there just has to be people coming in and educating them. And unfortunately he educates them with information that works in his favor. And well, that education process, look, before I got involved here, if I saw a cub offered for petting and a sign that said this is for conservation, I might not have given it a second thought. You just, right. and, and people don't. I can't tell you how many people we've talked to who, who have said, you know, I, I am embarrassed to tell you this, but I, at some point in my life, went and petted a tiger cub, thought it was adorable. I mean, the, the, what's more adorable than a tiger cub? It's very, <laughs> it's very appealing to want to hold one. If you don't know that, backstory but what's been very interesting to see and and you know educating an entire population is very difficult it takes a lot of time to get a a, a so a view of something to to change dramatically but i yes. can tell you that a few years ago if we saw a celebrity holding a tiger cub that, and on facebook the comments would be, ooh, ah, I want to do that. Oh, how cute. And now what we're seeing is when a celebrity does that, we're seeing a lot of comments saying, hey, don't you know that that cub was ripped from its mother? Don't you know that this is abusive? Where do you think that cub's going to go after it's too big to pet? So that education process is happening. Now, it's not yet universal. We still see people visiting Doc Antle this fellow in Myrtle Beach, um, South Carolina, who is who was one of the notorious figures in, in Tiger King, offering for people to handle these animals and people being drawn to do that because they don't yet know any better. But over time, hopefully, we will be able to 
make it so well known that there won't be any customers. Yeah, where there's, you know, where there's no audience, what's the song? Where there's no audience, there ain't no show. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what we're looking for, right? And you're right. doing a wonderful job of spreading awareness on that and making the necessary changes to make that happen. So I'd like to thank you for joining us. Let, you know, for one, we'll have all your links in the show notes. Is there anything else that you would like to close with? Uh, just to encourage people to think about these things when they think about going to some kind of a performance or to cup petting and, and help not do that. And, and in, a, in a not obnoxious way, help educate other people. You know, nobody wants to feel like they're doing something wrong. So if you're going to educate someone, try to be um, uh, sympathetic about it and say, you know, you, 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 what you might not know is this, not attacking them or criticizing them. That's, That's the such a good, word. that is such a good, good point because it's really important to allow people to absorb information, know that they have options, know that there's different ways of doing things and let them absorb that information and make that decision on their own. And when people feel like they've made an educated decision on their own, it's stronger. And it's, it's a, it, it might encourage them to then continue to do that for other people, as opposed to telling people what's right and wrong. All right, let me give you one uh, URL that you may not have in mind from your research. It's, it's very simple, it's catlaws.com. And there we, we track other laws around the country and sometimes around the world uh, that are being done and invite people to contact the legislators uh, involved. And that's a way where we can pass better laws for animals at the state level, sometimes at the local level, not just the federal level. I love that because people listening to this are from everywhere and people love to help locally. And, and when you help locally, you're also helping globally. So that's, that's great. We'll also put that link in the show notes. Well, and that's a big I, reason. That's a big reason that Ringling closed is because the local laws started banning use of the bullhook that used to control the elephants. So Ringling was having to work around the, the cities on its route where it, it couldn't display elephants, which became impractical. Isn't that great where you just narrow it right down to what the, the real issue is, that the, the bottom grassroots, that actual piece of equipment. And that's yeah, where they're really Yeah. And if you can't well, if you can't do that, then you can't run your business. Great. Oh well, well and we should I, be able to. When I first heard about that, I thought, well, why does that matter? Why can't they use some other pointed object? And I talked to Ed Stewart, who operates a sanctuary known for elephants out in California, and I asked him, and he said it's because that bullhook, that shape is what they use to beat the baby elephants. Mm -hmm. So that's what the elephant learns to be afraid of, not some other shaped object. Yes, elephants are definitely trained out of here, and All About Animals Radio has a number of shows on elephants and, and 
and elephant welfare. So if that's of interest to listeners here today, then please listen to those shows as well, because it's very important. I think what goes on behind the scenes, which Howard, you've brought up a couple of times, which is so important. People don't know what goes on before and after that exact moment that they're seeing right there. And uh, so for me, what comes to mind being Canadian is rodeos. You know, what happens to those animals before they're in that rodeo ring and after is horrific. People don't think about that. All these are super important topics and they are covered on on All About Animals Radio. And thank you so much for joining us on The Solutionist Show, Howard. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much. All righty. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.